0: Well, we are back this morning um, looking at the next in our series in Elijah, last week, this week, and next week. And today we are on First Kings chapter 18, which is on page 299 in the church Bibles, if you would like to turn it up. Now, we saw last week in our, our first of Elijah's sermons, we saw that it was set in the times of King Ahab. And King Ahab was, as the Bible said, was the worst king that had ever reigned. He did a lot of evil things, and part of what he did was he married this wife Jezebel, who was from a foreign country, and she brought with her the religion of Baal, or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. And that was very much a religion based on idols. Baal was the god of water and rain, um, fertility and pleasure. And so things had deteriorated rather much. And the time came that God was going to act and, and do something about his name being taken in vain. And so he sent Elijah the prophet. And last week we saw how Elijah was prepared through two or three different events for what we're going to be hearing about today. Elijah was reminded of God's faithfulness and of God's power. And of God's protection so we come this morning to the next story it's a lovely story it's quite a long story but we're going to read it all and I hope you get caught up in the and um, just the the tale as we read it so let's read chapter 18 after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your lords, Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water, And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken." Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped round the altar they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great it would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and lay it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran round the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Rahab rose and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab. To the entrance of Jezreel. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we just thank you for stories like this and yet as we get lost in the narrative, so we ask that as we listen to your word this morning, so you will speak clearly to each one of us what we need to learn about you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of the Six Nations Rugby Tournament and even if you're not a rugby fan, I'm sure that you are be aware this week of the crowds heading to Murrayfield, the Frenchman who have been all along Princess Street. And it's a game of strong passions, as in all sporting contests. There were those who were passionately supporting France, those who were supporting Scotland, and many neutrals who were just hoping for a good game. Well, in our passage this morning, we are preparing for a similarly passionate contest, a contest between Yahweh, God, and Baal, but one in which neutrality is not an option. And we see that in the key verse in verse 21, where Elijah issues this challenge, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but of Baal, then follow him. So that's the challenge that was issued. And as we look at it, I want to look under three headings that are on the back of the order of service. And as we do this, what we're trying to pick out is the lessons that God is teaching us about himself in in this, not about Elijah or not trying to make us, how can we be more like Elijah? But what we'll see is three things about God today. One, the ways that God works Then secondly, the decision that God demands, and then thirdly, the prayer that God answers. So firstly, let's look at the way that God works in verses 1 to 16. And it starts off, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So the chapter begins with this promise of rain, and then it ends, when we get to verse 40-something, with rain arriving. But there's a lot that goes on in between, isn't there? And why was that? Because if the drought was going to come to an end, if God had decided that, why did he not just send in the clouds? Well, just imagine if we had gone straight from chapter 18, verse 1, to the end of the chapter, how might the people have responded? Would they have said, well, it's obviously the Lord who sent the drought and then the rain. Baal is obviously a false god and the Lord, the real one. We must all turn back to the Lord. Would they have said that? Well, I doubt it. It would have been something like, thank goodness, at last Baal has answered our prayers for rain. Because unbelievers always find an unbelieving way to interpret events, always an excuse not to believe." So what the Lord had to do before sending the rain was to show definitively the people that God was the real God, that Baal was a false god. And he had to do it publicly, clearly, and if you like, on national prime time. And he had to show that worshiping Baal and forsaking the real God had indeed been the cause of the problems that they'd been facing. Because God's purpose in all of this was to show them the way back to him. So as we entered the chapter, Ahab had been searching all over the place for Elijah and never finding him. And so God sets up this invitation to the contest. It's God who takes the initiative. It's happening on God's terms. And it starts with another command to Elijah, go and show yourself to Ahab. Now that's another difficult command, isn't it, for Elijah to follow as we realize that if, Eli- if Ahab got to Elijah he would probably kill him. But as we saw last week Elijah obeys all these seemingly difficult commands and he goes and on his way he bumps into this chap Obadiah. Now this is not the Obadiah who has a book in the Bible later on, that was somebody who came much later. This is Obadiah and he's an interesting character, isn't he? Because he was a civil servant. Not that that necessarily makes them interesting, but he, um, he was a palace administrator and he was a believer in God. So you had Ahab, who was the king, who was totally against God, and you had Obadiah, who was the administrator, who was a believer in God. And he wasn't just a believer, he was a risk taker. He, he was faith in action, wasn't he? Because we read that he had saved a hundred prophets after Jezebel had killed some prophets, then um, Obadiah saved a hundred of them in caves. How he did that, we don't really know, but the, the fact is that he did it. Now, Obadiah didn't want, didn't find water, but he found Elijah instead on his way to Ahab. Now, is that a coincidence? Well, I don't think so. God doesn't do coincidences. And this meeting that was set up between Elijah and Obadiah was set up by God for a purpose. Elijah asked Obadiah to go and announce his presence to Ahab. But as we saw in verses 9 to 14, we see how reticent Obadiah is to do that quite naturally for fear of his life. If he goes and Ahab realizes that Obadiah knows where Elijah is, then goodness knows what would happen. But I think as we read this bit about Obadiah, that there's a wee question here, and it's probably why why do we get 12 verses on Obadiah, almost a third of the chapter on Obadiah in this narrative? He's one of the many characters, one of the many minor characters in the Bible. And I think it's showing us here two things about the way God works, two things we can learn about the way God works. Firstly, God works in different ways. And secondly, he uses different types of people, and we see this here as as to how God tries to reach Ahab. See, there's two different ways. There was the direct approach from Elijah. Elijah had been warning. He had been warning about rain. He had been passing on God's word. But there was also the planting of a faithful servant in the most important job in the king's household, to be a witness to God. And that faithful servant had been quietly being used by God to save all these prophets from what would have been death at the hands of Jezebel. So different ways, but also different types of people. Obadiah was very different to Elijah, wasn't he? Elijah was very much up front, larger than life. But Obadiah was a quieter chap, behind the scenes, in the court, And because of his different personality and character and gifts, he was able to play a vital role at the heart of power. It's a bit like Joseph, if you remember, earlier at the court of Pharaoh, or Daniel later in Babylon. They never compromised, but they served God where they were placed. And so what do we learn from this? Well, I think we learn... So many different things. But as I look around here this morning, I see people with all different types of personalities. And I see people who are placed in very different settings. I look around and I see quiet people. I see louder people. I see more confident people. I see less confident people. We're all different. And as I look around and as I think about the people in ENC, I see doctors, I see business people. I see teachers, I see retired people, and like Obadiah, many in secular workplaces where following Jesus is not easy. And if you're at school or university, you may be one of only a few Christians there and the eyes of the world will be on you. But the lesson here, I think, is that God has put you there. God has placed you there to be a witness to him. And remember these words, In the prayer of Jesus for his disciples, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So God carries out his plans in different ways, using different types of people. And that should be both a challenge and an encouragement to each one. Wherever we are placed, we are placed there to work for the Lord. So back to the story. And um, soon after, Obadiah delivers the message to Ahab that Elijah wants to see him. Now, I don't know about you, but I might have expected an all-guns-blazing approach from Ahab at this stage. But he doesn't come across as very bold, does he? There's no kind of big threat that he's going to kill Elijah. There's just a blubbering, it's all your fault. Reminded me of a petulant child, it's your fault. No, it's not, it's your fault, Etc. Etc. And we might have expected Elijah to be trembling at this encounter. But in fact, what we see is Elijah is the one who is emboldened. He points out to Ahab who the real troublemaker is, who's the real cause of all the problems. And then he commands Ahab to gather everyone together and all the 950 prophets at Mount Carmel. And strangely, Ahab complies. He just meekly complies. You see, God was directing this meeting as well. He was working in Elijah to make this happen. He gave Elijah the strength. He he, he worked through Ahab as well. I wonder if you can recount times where you're facing a fearful situation, not sure how you're going to handle it or what you're going to say. You pray to God and he answers with a peace and an assurance, and a way through that maybe surprises. I can think of lots of times when that's happened to me. And when that's happened, you know it's God at work, because that's a way that God does work to embolden his people, so that his plans will be fulfilled. So there we have our first lesson in the ways that God's work, using different people in different places and emboldening his people at the same time. And then we come on to our second point, which is the choice that God demands. This is verse 17 to 39. So we've now got this big crowd gathering at the foot of Mount Carmel. Now I'd imagine some of the crowds, when they were summoned, would think they were going to be bystanders. So we're we're coming here to see a big confrontation between Ahab and Elijah. Because most people, I guess, as in any place, were following the, re- the lead of the leader, Ahab. What he said went. And they probably hadn't thought very much about, about it for themselves. But that wasn't the case, was it? Because the challenge was for everyone. They were actually on the pitch as well. And to get this challenge, how long will you waver between the two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Doesn't it have echoes of choose this day whom you will serve? Or Jesus' words, you cannot serve two masters. See, that's a challenge that issued for all time to all people. And it's a choice that every one of us needs to respond to. Because it's a choice between life and death. Not just life and death in this life. But eternal life and that's important. And maybe some of us here this morning are still wavering and if so then this verse from Elijah is a challenge to you today. Who will you choose? You see for all of us there's no room for a kind of pick and mix approach of the people. There's no room for trying to get the best out of both worlds. Baal for this and God for this. We can't just pick God on a Sunday, come to church, think that's good, and then follow the idols and pleasure on Monday to Saturday, having a foot in both camps. It also means there's no room for a pick and mix faith, a bit of this faith and a bit of that faith. No room for an all the religions are the same approach because God won't share his glory. But for those who have already made the choice, notice the words, Elijah says choose and then follow it's not just choose it's then follow and so that's a challenge for us all today I think for daily we face situations where we have a choice to make between actively and fully following Jesus or not and it's a daily battle isn't it between sin and faithfulness to Jesus John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life, and I'm going to quote what I thought was a very relevant section out of that on this. He says, this war between sin and faithfulness is being fought along the line in every family. It is being fought along the line between truth and falsehood in every school, between integrity and corruption in every office, between pride and humility in every sport, between right doctrine and wrong doctrine in every church and between laziness and diligence between coffee breaks. It is not a waste to fight the battle for truth and faith and love on any of these fronts." God demanded a response then and He demands a response today. But as we look, see in verse 21, the initial response was silence. Human eloquence alone didn't yield a response. They were still hedging their bets. God had demanded a response, but they were still wavering. Even though it must have been pretty obvious that the so-called God of rain couldn't do anything, yet the hardness of heart of Ahab was such that more evidence of Baal's impotence was needed. So God then moved to show them who was the real God with a sacrifice challenge, a bull and a pile of wood, and which God could bring down fire to light the barbecue. And God made the challenge hard, didn't he? Because Mount Horeb, where it happened, was actually the center of Baal territory. It was where Queen Jezebel had come from. So this was an away match for God. But of course, God has a 100% away record, doesn't he? And Baal gets to go first. And Baal has all these prophets round about supporting him. Now, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? The prophets of Baal, with all their bustling activity, calling on the name of God all day long, a multi-hour prayer meeting, in fact. It's a high-energy approach, dancing round and round, looking for a big reward. And they were singing, probably, that famous song, Come on, Baal, light my fire. But after a morning full of activity, In verse 26, no one answered, no one paid attention. And then they had a lunch break and the same thing happened all afternoon. And still, verse 29, no one answered, no one paid attention. And Elijah's mocking tone reinforces the futility of their actions, doesn't it? Maybe he's asleep, maybe he's in the toilet, maybe he's gone on a journey. And we laugh, of course, don't we? Well, we don't carry on like that, do we? We're much more refined. Well, maybe a reminder here that we too can easily think this way, that the more religious activities we carry out, the more God will favor us. Activities may be good in themselves, but if the motive is not right, then they're probably not the right thing to be doing. And so then it's God's turn. Later on in the day, Elijah starts by Firstly, he symbolically rebuilds the altar that had been destroyed. Then he makes things more difficult by pouring on jars of water. And then, a very simple prayer. And with that, the fire of the Lord fell. It was decisive. There was no TMO or five minutes of endless replays to decide the result. It was very clear. And the people responded in verse 39, the Lord. He is God. And what about Ahab? How did he respond? Well, we'll see a bit more of that next week, but we get a wee hint in the following verses when Ahab goes off to eat and drink and be merry again. Now, we've had this high, haven't we? And then we come on to verse 40, and I'm sure if you read it, as I was reading it, some of you were saying, oh no, here we go again. It's um, It's the sort of vindictive God of the Old Testament going and Elijah slaughtering all the the prophets, a bloodthirsty God. Can I just say a wee thing on this? And I think what this is showing us is that God hates apostasy. If God's word is rejected, there is punishment. And in fact, Moses in Deuteronomy 13, this is what was talked about, would happen. And I think we live in New Testament times and Judgment isn't done like this nowadays, is it? Our judgment is going to come in the future. In the world to come we will be judged. It's not that our judgment is going to be any less severe because we face the choice between eternal life or eternal punishment. And in some ways I think that makes this very difficult for us because we don't necessarily, I don't think, tend to take um the word seriously enough of what God is is saying will happen in the future, how serious it is if we um, disobey his word and if we disobey him. Turning away from God's word is deadly now, and it was deadly then as well, and that's what we're seeing in these um, few verses here. So that's the first two points, how God works, and then the challenge God faces, and then very briefly, the prayer that God answers. Well, we've had the fire, we've had the lit, but we still haven't had the rain yet. Um, Although Elijah is confident enough that will come and in verse 41 he disappears. In verse 42 he goes to eat and drink and celebrate. But what does Elijah do at this point? Elijah goes up the mountain to pray. And not just once, but seven times. And then the rain comes, doesn't it? See, Elijah was a man of prayer, and if you flick forward, I'll read it out to you, but if we go forward to the book of James in the New Testament, where James is talking about prayer, and in chapter 5, verse 17, James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, which is what we saw last week. And for three years and six months it did not rain in the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man like us. Well, that sounds quite nice, doesn't it? But he prayed fervently. And I think that's a challenge there. Could, could it be said of us that we pray fervently? For myself, I think the answer would be no. We can all answer that for ourselves, can't we? But if we look at the way that Elijah has prayed, I mean, last week when the widow's son died, what did Elijah do? He prayed. In the fire contest, what did Elijah do? He prayed. And if we look back to his prayer in verse 36 and 37, we see it's a lovely simple prayer, isn't it? O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. See, it wasn't a prayer about making Elijah great. It was a prayer about making God great and about bringing the people back to God. A humble prayer and a glorious prayer. And then in this chapter, he goes and he prays for rain, and we might ask ourselves, why on earth did he do that? Because he knew that rain was coming. And it's a mystery, isn't it? And I wonder that God delights in hearing the prayers of his people. See, rain was going to come, but God still wanted Elijah to pray for the rain. And it's a mystery, and a mystery that I don't think we'll ever resolve until we're we're with the Lord. But He loves us, and in some ways, he works out his purposes using our prayers. So I think that's an encouragement. We maybe think it's not worth praying, but God wants us to pray and pray fervently because he uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes. And so I think we learn in all of these prayers of Elijah that true prayer, the prayer God answers, is a prayer where we take God's promises And we plead with him to fulfill his promises in order that his name will be glorified. That's what Elijah would be doing. And that's a lesson for us as we come to pray um, day by day. So as I close, um, we see, of course, there was no bail. The result was never going to be in doubt, was it? And yet, even in our sophisticated society today, even though the answer should be obvious, the challenge is still there because behind all opposition to God, behind every tempting idol is Satan himself, Satan who does all he can to keep people away from God. And so the challenge that we see in this passage is the same today as it was then. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. For some of us here, we may still be unsure, still sitting on the fence, as it were. Well, I say again, if that's you today, the message is that being neutral is not an option. A choice must be made. So choose God and choose life. And for those of us who have chosen God, we just can't sit back. The contest continues wherever God has placed us. For idols can easily tempt us astray And so may our prayer be the words that we will shortly sing. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you will help us to digest your words that the words will reach deep into our heart and they will challenge us, if we don't know you yet, to want to come and follow you. And if you are our Lord and Savior, help us to be more faithful in how we live each day for you, wherever you have placed us. In Jesus' name, amen.